Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henry. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. Luke chapter 17, verse 1 and 2 is our passage. Our message is entitled, Temptations to Sin. Temptations to Sin. Luke 17, verse 1 and 2. I'm always the last one there to make sure you get there. So Now we're going to read both verses first, and then we'll go back and unpack them in detail. Verse 1. And he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone, that is a huge heavy rock, were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now that phrase, little ones, that Jesus says here is referring to two groups of people. First, children. And second, to new believers in Christ. And so the young should not be tempted to sin by those who are older Those who are new to Christianity should not be tempted to sin by those who are older in Christianity. Verse 1 again. And he said to his disciples, that is, remember last week, Jesus shifted his focus and he's been talking directly to his disciples. And last week he gave us the account of the rich man and Lazarus. And what we learned last week is that eternity is real. And how we live really, really matters because there is a judgment coming. That is, hell awaits those who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And so listen, it is imperative that we live for Christ. It is imperative that we point people to Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. We represent him. We represent his kingdom. We come with his message, not our own. We are to point people to the way, not obscure the way or be a stumbling block in the way. Verse 1 again. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are what? Sure to come. That is, listen, temptations are given in your life and in my life too. And, you know, there are three main sources of temptation in our lives. And the first is this. You can fill this in in your notes if you're taking notes. The flesh. The flesh. That is our own heart, those inward desires that get enticed by Satan 
to get us to do something that is out of God's will. And so this is what usually what Satan does. He takes a good, legitimate desire, a good, legitimate desire that we can fulfill within God's boundaries, and he twists it, and he baits it because he knows if we take that, it will pull us away from God. The third source of temptation in our lives is the world. Fill that in. The world. The flesh and the world. And and so the world system is constantly telling you and I lies that it wants us to buy into and, and live for. You know, the world is constantly mocking Jesus, making fun of Jesus, ridiculing Jesus, you know, it is anti-God and it is pro-man. That is, man is the boss. I am the captain of my ship. I am the one who calls the shots. I am the one who knows best. I am the determiner of truth. I am the one who decides what is right and what is wrong for me. Man is the boss. There is no God. And thus, this life is all that there is. And so, make the best of it. And so, then it calls us to give ourselves the precious moments of our life, the few heartbeats that we have. It calls us to give them to things that are passing away. Success, entertainment, power, pleasure, possessions, things that are fleeting. They're there for a moment, they're gone, and even when we have them, they do not satisfy. So there's the flesh, there's the world, and the final source of temptation that we have to face is the devil. The devil, fill that in. The devil. That is, listen, the devil sends demons to entice, to stir up, to increase those desires within us. He will inflame them by his demonic presence. He sends his demons to directly tell lies to you in your mind. And the thing is, is you hear it in your own voice. You think it's you talking to you, and it's not. He empowers the forces that are directing our society. He empowers people who are directing those forces that are selling lies to us to believe, to give ourselves to things that pull us away from God and cause us to live for that which has no meaning. That is, there are many, many traps in our world, and the devil baits those traps with things that they they seem so smart. That's what all the smart people are doing. 
It seems so right. I mean, that's, that's what all the cool people are doing. Seems so inviting. I mean, it feels good for a while. It, it, it's, it looks like fun for a while. It continues. Verse 1 again. And he said to his disciples, temptations, that is, that word temptation is the Greek word scandalon. And so you might want to fill this in in your notes. That word means uh, tempting to sin or a stumbling block. It is tempting to sin or a stumbling block. Now, originally, the word was a hunting term, and it meant this. It meant the baiting of a trap in order to ensnare an animal. The baiting of a trap in order to ensnare an animal. Verse 1 again. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. That is, again, you know, temptations are given. They're constant. <laughs> but listen, we shouldn't be discouraged by that, and we shouldn't be defeated by that, because the Word tells us if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And listen, any time we face a temptation, we have the promise of God that says there is a way out that we don't have to give in to any temptation. And so fill that into your notes. Don't give in to temptation. Don't give in to temptation. And here's the promise that God gives us. 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That is, listen, we all face the same temptations. You're not the only one. You're not the unique one. We all face the same stuff. The devil likes to make you think you're the only one. Nobody understands. Nobody must face what I face. And so we don't share. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That is, I would encourage you to memorize that verse so when the temptations come into your life, listen, you can speak that. You can speak the word in the midst of the temptation to remind yourself, listen, I don't have to give in to this thing. And you can look around and say, Lord, where's the escape hatch? How do you want me to go through this thing? How do you want me to walk away from this thing? I know I can face this, go through this, walk away from this. In glory to you, you have provided that way, and you just open your eyes. How, what is God asking you to do? Temptation is kind of like your phone 
ringing in your pocket. You know, before you were saved, before you had the Holy Spirit, before you had Christ, you see, the Bible says something that if you know Christ, you're different. You're now dead to sin and alive to Christ. You were alive to sin. So before Christ, you didn't have any choice not to sin. And so temptation is like that phone ringing in, and before Christ, you pick it up. You pick it up every time. That phone rings, tick, tick. But now that you're in Christ, Jesus is saying, phone's still going to ring. It's sure to come. It's going to buzz. But because of me and my power in you, listen, you don't have to pick it up. Let it ring four times. It'll go away. You'll be just fine. Here's the other thing we got to know about temptation because the devil is sneaky. <clears throat> temptation and sin are different. Temptation and sin are not the same. That is, listen, Jesus was tempted, and yet he did not sin. And so we need to understand that temptation is not sin. And I say that because Satan will try to throw you off with that. This is what he'll do. You know, you'll be like, you'll get into temptation. Like, man, where in the world did that thought come from? Or, you know, why in the world am, am, am I getting pulled that way? I thought I was over that. And, and so Satan begins to worship or whisper into your ear, you know, listen, you haven't changed. Listen, look, look at those ugly thoughts. Look at that. Look at that. Look at those desires, man. And he tries to get you to give in to the temptation by equating the presence of temptation as equal with you already sinning, as you already losing. I'm already being tempted this way. I'm already getting pulled this way. I must, I, I'm, already, I'm already losing. No, you are not. That is a lie. Jesus was tempted. It is not a sin to be tempted. Don't buy into that line of strategy of Satan, Satan taking you down that road, equating temptation with the sin. He's a dirty dog. You got to know his schemes. Got to be prepared for what he's coming. Temptation is not a sin. Don't give in to it. Verse 1 again. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come. Here comes the heavy part. But woe to the one through whom they come. That is, don't give in to temptation. And second, fill this in in your notes, don't tempt others to sin. Don't tempt others to sin. That is, Jesus is warning here. He is saying here, anyone, anyone who in any way would undermine the faith of a child, anyone who in any way would undermine the faith of a new believer, 
Jesus pronounce a judgment upon that person. Verse 2, take a look. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and was cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. That is, Jesus sees tempting someone else to sin as a horrendous evil. Horrendous evil. And so he has a very, very severe response, severe judgment to it. It would be better for you if you tied a huge cement stone around your neck and you were drugged to the bottom of the sea and you slowly died a horrible death, drowning, than what Jesus is going to come for you with. Now, there are so many applications to this verse. So let me just unpack a few for us. This is a strong, strong word for parents and grandparents. This is a strong, strong word for parents and grandparents. That's me too, by the way. Grandpa, I can't believe that. That is how you talk. What you do, what you're living for, is it clearly pointing your kids and your grandkids to Jesus? Are you obscuring the way? Are you sending them mixed messages about what is really important in life? Because listen, you're not walking that close with Jesus. Jesus is not the first priority in your life. How will you treat your spouse? How do you talk to them? How do you honor them? Is Jesus Christ clearly at the very center of your marriage and your kids and your grandkids know it? It's obvious. They don't have to wonder. They don't have to ask. Is Jesus at the center of your home? And your kids and your grandkids know it. They don't have to wonder. They don't have to ask. You pray together. You read God's word together. His word guides your life. It guides your decisions. It guides how you talk to each other, how you treat each other. It guides where you spend your time where you spend your energy, where you spend your money? Do your kids know what your priorities truly are? Listen, do they see the Holy Spirit in you? Do they see the Holy Spirit working through you? Do you have the fruits of the Spirit adorning your life? They dress your life.
or listen, friends. Man, are, are, are we living and reacting and acting like the rest of the world? Jesus warns us with the most extreme caution you can possibly imagine. You're tempting your kids to sin. You're tempting your grandkids to sin by your lack of clarity. By saying with your lips that Jesus is important, God's important, but listen, you know this, your grandkids, your kids know the real score. And the only one you're fooling is yourself. This is a strong, strong word for teachers, for pastors, for children's workers, for all the same reasons. Does our walk match the talk? (laughs) Are we teaching the truth and are we living sincerely in the truth, that sincerely in the light? Because if not, our compromise is causing people to stumble and a millstone awaits. Now, I haven't even gone into the fact that all the above can abuse their power. They can abuse their power with violence, with anger, with manipulation. That's the passive way. With sexual abuse. What an evil world we live in. Millstones await. It will not go unpunished. This is a strong word for college professors who think it is their main job description to tear apart the faith of young believers coming upon their campus. And listen, their disdain for God, their disdain for the truth, because it's not intellectual. They just want to have sex with who they want to have sex with when they want to have sex. You strip away all the flowery language, that's all it is. Their disdain for the truth just reminds me Millstones, millstones awaiting. It's a strong word for actors, rock stars, the Hollywood elite. Ridicule Jesus, mock Jesus. Can you watch anything anymore? Can you listen to anything anymore? That isn't a flat-out assault against Jesus and his morality and his message. What a ridiculous thing. Jesus, born again, cross. Jesus, you know, he died, he rose again. You know, morality, like, you know, 
how can homosexuality be wrong? You know, oh, that's ridiculous. Mock, mock, mock. Millstones. They are causing many to stumble. Millstones will be awarded. Maybe they'll look like Oscars. I don't know. God has a sense of humor. You never know. Christian celebrities who leave the faith. Christian leaders who commit serious sin. They cause so many to be confused and to stumble. Millstones are waiting. Politicians who legislate evil, who pass laws that hurt children in the name of what culture says is good. Insane millstones. Enjoy it now is all I have to say. Millstones are waiting. It will not go unpunished. Jesus' eyes are a consuming fire and it will be released. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 14 or 16, Matthew chapter 16. So you're in Luke, those Matthew, Mark, Luke. So turn back two books, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Matthew 16, verse 23. Now, basically, we could put all of what we just talked about under the basic category of false counsel. So take a look at this verse, verse 23. But he, that is Jesus, turned and said to Peter, that is the apostle Peter, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, what? Satan. Meek and mild Jesus. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of what? Of man. Now that word hindrance there is our Greek word scandalon. Same word, scandalon. And so Peter was tempting Jesus to sin. Peter was being a stumbling block to Jesus accomplishing his father's will He was speaking false counsel. He was giving Jesus man's ideas, man's ways, and not God's. Turn to Romans chapter 16. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 16. That's the last chapter in Romans. Romans 16. Romans 16, verse 17. Romans 16, verse 17. We have a, our word again here. 
This is the Apostle Paul speaking. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause what? Division. And create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. What? Avoid them. It really would be interesting if we actually apply the word of God in as individuals and as a church and as a society. It's hard to today. That is, there are many, many false teachers today. There are many, many false doctrines that come in, confusing people, causing conflicts. That word obstacles there, again, is our Greek word scandalon. That's the word scandalon. Verse 18. For such a person does not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, they say they do. They come look looking like the real deal, talking like the real deal. That's why it's hard. But they don't really serve Jesus. They serve their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. People like them. They tell people what they want to hear. But ultimately, this teacher, pastor, whatever, leader, is motivated by greed. They're motivated by popularity. They're, they're motivated by themselves. They're, they're, they're in it for themselves. And so they obscure the truth. They're a stumbling block. They don't preach the truth. They don't point people to Christ, they create confusion instead of simply teaching the clarity of God's word. I'm so, so grateful when I come along pastors who are staying true to God's word and they're out there, but there are a lot of people obscuring the word rather than preaching the simplicity and clarity of the word. Turn back to Romans 14. Just one page back, Romans 14. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. And so that word hindrance there, Again, is our word scandal on the stumbling block one, same idea, but it's a different word. And so the principle here that Paul is setting forth is that we should not cause another person to stumble. Well, what causes people to stumble? Sin. <laughs> Listen, sin in the form of gossip. Proverbs says that gossip, gossip separates the closest of friends. I've seen that happen so many times. Sin in the form of gossip. Sin in the form of pride. Sin in the form of envy. Sin in the form of bitterness. 
Sin in the form of fear. Sin in the form of immorality. The biggest thing that causes people to stumble is that when people who claim to be Christians don't live like it. That those who profess or would call themselves a Christian ultimately cause people to stumble by, listen, by how they run their business, by how they discipline their kids, by where they really spend their time and energy. Specifically in the context here in Romans 14, Paul is talking about the fact that we have certain freedoms in Christ. We have certain liberties in Christ. You know, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so we have certain liberties and freedoms in Christ. But sometimes those liberties or those freedoms can cause someone else to stumble. And so Paul says, listen, man, care about each other. Care about each other. So in love, because you care, because you love, restrict yourself in that freedom so that you don't cause someone else to stumble. For example, I used to live in Utah, and I have the freedom in Christ to drink coffee. How many of you know I like coffee? A lot. I have the freedom in Christ to drink coffee. But listen, Mormons have a thing against caffeine. It's a little less now, but back then, way back then, they really had an issue with caffeine. And so I worked with all Mormons. Everybody in my office was Mormon except for me. And so because I wanted to be a testimony for Christ and I was always looking for an opportunity to share the gospel with them, I set aside my freedom to drink coffee so that they would not stumble with my testimony or my message. And so what Jesus is saying to us, listen, we need to take seriously these things. We need to think carefully about these things. We we need to really look at what example are we truly setting for those around us? And so let me ask us tonight. And just so you know, before I go here, I already went here in my preparation. I confessed. I repented. I fall under the word too. So, But let me ask us, is there anything in your life presently that is causing you to stumble? That is pulling you away from Christ rather than to Christ? That keeps tripping you up? Is there anything in your life that is causing others to stumble around you? Causing them to trip up because they see you doing it. 
So that makes it a little bit more okay if I do it. Husbands, are you allowing anything in your home to cause your kids to stumble, to cause your wife to stumble? Wives, you allowing anything in your life that would cause your husband to stumble? Your kids to stumble? Listen, if you have the Holy Spirit, you, you feel conviction in some area or not. I already know it. The Lord's speaking to you about something. And so here's the deal. We need to confess it. And we need to repent. And listen, that's not about condemnation. The reason that Jesus is warning us, it's not about condemnation. It's about restoration. Jesus wants to give you more of his love. We just sang about it. More of his life. He wants you to experience his abundant life. He wants your family to experience the abundant life. He wants our church to experience the abundant life. He wants our community to experience the abundant life. But we can't do that if we're full of darkness and not his light. Listen, he's not saying all that to point his finger at you. He is looking to convict you to get you to turn so that you receive all that you were created to live in in Christ. He wants to give you life. He hates sin and he hates death because it's not normal. He's the author of life. He wants you to experience the fullness of his love, the fullness of his joy, the fullness of his presence, the fullness of his peace, the fullness of his life, life and life everlasting. John 14 says when we're rightly connected, we have life coming out of us like an ever-ending spring. That's, that means now, not then in heaven, but now. And the reason we don't feel that way is we got, we got stuff. We got stuff. And that stuff isn't just affecting us. It's affecting the ones that we love. It's affecting the power of our church. It's affecting our testimony together. So I'm just asking this church, sincerely confess, sincerely repent with me tonight and ask Jesus to come. We, we need him. We need him to walk forward. I understand it's a process, but so often we just get in this zone of, of being okay with certain things and trying to manage sin. <laughs> What's the certain level of sin I can manage over here and be okay with? Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. Let's be filled with the fullness of his love and of his life. Repent with me. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.